This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And y'all know we love us some workers' comp on power producers and we also love technology and we get to marry the two of them today with these guys from comp science we are joined by jacob geyer and mike feeling you know what i was i paused for a second i I had (laughs) i paused for a second just because i my glasses were blurry you didn't see me off, off on camera or maybe you did i was just trying to wipe them off i couldn't tell if that was like Mike selling and that was your LinkedIn zoom license and it was just it, your selling account versus your personal, perfect if that was my last name, but it's feeling like the ceiling above you. Perfect. And Mike ceiling from comp science. And these guys have some pretty unique tech that they use inside the workers comp world. So before we get wrapped up and jump down the comp science rabbit holes, cause I'm sure there's plural. Why don't you guys take a second each? Jacob, you go first and sort of give everybody your background and what led you to where you're at with Comp Science today. Sure. Thanks. Uh, so I'm the chief insurance officer here at Comp Science. Been in the insurance industry about 18 years. Started off as an actuary, uh, did that with Liberty Mutual and then with Accident Fund, and then realized I like looking people in the eye. And so, uh, so switched over into a business development, group programs, corporate underwriting role, um, then took on AF Specialty. And then uh, at the beginning of 2022, moved on over to, to Comp Science, which was known as Kinetic Eye at the time, uh, to really uh, productize their amazing product and bring it to the insurance market. And then, uh, so Mike and I, we, we've known each other a long time. He can introduce himself, but brought him along for the ride a couple months in. Yeah. So Mike, Mike Sealing, Vice President of uh, Growth here at Comp Science. And as Jacob alluded to, we've worked together for a number of years. Uh, my background is 25 years on the uh, carrier side, both in health insurance as well as PNC, also at Accident Fund, where Jacob and I met and um, started out in the finance department and just kept working my way up until ultimately uh, was vice president of business development. Uh, so had um, uh, responsibilities over uh, all of uh, business development as well as loss control. And then transitioned from there uh, during the pandemic over to the agency side where I spent the last uh, couple of years and uh, as Jacob mentioned, when um, when he got involved with Comp Science, uh, called me up uh, fairly quickly and said, uh, 
uh, when when we're ready, we're going to want to work together again. And so we uh, we got ready over the summer and now we're helping scale the company. Good deal. So talk to me a little bit about where the idea came from for this. Or do you want to let, let's step back for a second? Why don't you describe what you're doing? And then after that, talk about kind of where that aha moment came where you realized you were onto something. Go ahead, Jacob. Yeah. So, so really at its heart, what we're doing here at Comp Science is we're marrying up computer vision technology with a workers' comp insurance product. So most organizations, namely four wall risk and manufacturing, wholesale trade, warehousing, logistics, they have some type of camera system. And that system is set up for, for security, for, for monitoring, for employee productivity. And what we're doing is we're essentially layering in our technology and our AI. Um, with, with built-in detectors, we have about 50 at the moment, and that number continues to expand. And what we're able to do is determine risk that is occurring within those four walls, utilizing the cameras that are already in place with a lot of these organizations. And uh, so we're, we're coming up with, with things like forklifts that are driving with, with line of sight issues. If there are people that are, are potentially going to be struck by these forklifts, if people are using improper ergonomics when they're bending and lifting boxes and moving around. And so what we do is we, we gather up all that information that we see within our computer vision technology, and we provide that to the policyholder in the form of a risk report, which includes an executive summary of what's going on, what we see, where are their hotspots, um, as well as some recommendations on how they can reduce risk. And, and really this was born out of uh, our, our founder and CEO, Josh Butler. Um, he has a personal story where his father-in-law uh, worked in construction. He noted that a piece of equipment he was utilizing was unstable. He alerted the managers on the job that this was an unstable piece of equipment. They told him to venture forward. He did, and lo and behold, the, the machine tipped. He was inside of it and he was put on permanent disability. Oof. And so, you know, with that, based on Josh's background in the computer vision space, he thought there's gotta be a, a solution here that we can bring along into this space and keep people safer. And so our, our mission here really is we want to use our technology and provide insights to people so that everybody can get home safely after their work shift every single day. So here's my question. My mind immediately goes to the claim. He made his employer known about it. Did this thing hit? Did this thing hit employer's liability? That's a great question. Uh, and I don't know the answer. Because that, that very um, yeah. easily, even in a million dollar limits, could pierce the umbrella layer, depending, right? Yeah. And the only time I've ever really had exposure to to those types of claims, sadly, it's it's more than than I would like. But it's always something that has become negligence on the the part of the employer, where it's well documented that employees have made them aware of an issue. They took no initiative to get it fixed, and ultimately, what they were the employees were attempting to avoid is actually. What ends up happening? And I remember probably the worst one I've ever seen was scaffolding at a masonry company that was doing, you know, block, block laying, and the scaffolding was in bad repair. Made it even worse that OSHA had already been out there and cited them for their scaffolding. They did nothing mm. to fix it. And they had a death claim where a guy fell roughly 20 some feet and it landed at exactly. I mean, I don't think any way is a, a good way to land at 20 feet, but. He ended up ended up passing away from it. And I know that the family the family just put the screws to him, and I know employers' liability paid out as did the umbrella on it. So, people, if you're 
if you're dealing with employers, like this is this is where an agent earns their money, right? If you're doing more than selling paper and you're out there trying to solve problems that employers are, are facing, this is where you have to stand your ground. I don't know too many agents that have the backbone to go in and tell an employer they're going to fire them as a client if they don't listen to loss control recommendations and other things. This I, these, these people would not have been my client, right? And so the only reason I knew about that death claim was because we're the agency that took them over after they left the other agency. Mm-hmm. And there were some very, very clear ground rules with ownership and leadership as to what our expectations were moving forward. And I got to imagine like, you know, if you're dealing with distributors and warehouses and construction sites and places where people do have cameras 24, seven, 365, you're not dealing with the most agreeable client money much of the time, right? <laughs> let's just, let's just call it what it is. So you guys go in, you've got, you got this fancy newfangled technology that the general contractor, you know, is aware of. And he wants to use you because he's he's losing jobs because his mods shooting up. They don't have the right processes and procedures in place. How do you win that guy over? Well, I, I you know let me kind of jump in here, uh, Jacob, for a, a second. I think you kind of really speak to uh, to why many of us have joined you know comp science to to begin with. You know, frankly, you know we're not insuring bumpers, we're not insuring you know roofs. This, these are you know people. These are brothers and sisters and you know, fathers and mothers that that ultimately don't expect to get hurt uh, at the job in any given day. And so we're bringing solutions when historically, yes, there is loss control. And we've worked with some of the best at our carrier partners. Um, but at the end of the day, they're they're human. And so when, you know, a loss control consultant walks through a facility or through a job site, they're human. They can only see certain things or hear certain things. They're there maybe uh, a couple of hours at a time, once or twice a year, and they're not certainly sitting there with a uh, clicker counting how many times something happened. With with our technology, because we're utilizing video footage, it's like having a loss control consultant perched everywhere in the facility, and they don't take breaks, and they're watching all the time, or at least during the the, the sampling period that uh, that we're utilizing. And so as a result, we're able to see everything. We see what employees do when they think nobody else is watching, which is when, you know, get, you know as you can imagine, when somebody comes from a carrier, uh, everyone's got safety goggles on, everyone's got their PPE on, and, you know, the uh, the, the work area is all nice and tidy. We see what uh, what people are doing when they think nobody's watching. So we're able to identify hazards better we're also able to quantify it. We can count how many times the employees bend over every day to pick something up or to build a window or to build whatever they're making. And it's not any one um, waistband that, that creates the loss. I mean, ultimately it is, but it is a result of, you know, weeks and months of years mm-hmm. worth of that. And so we're able to better detect those exposures, quantify them. And then really at the end of the day, because of the use of video footage, we're shining a spotlight on the the existing problems, better identify it, and then you know, frankly work with that client to provide solutions. So we have on-staff ergonomists, on-staff loss control consultants that basically work with that client from that first risk report that Jacob talks about to the second risk report. We've got five or six months to essentially remediate whatever we find in that risk report, and then we come out and do it a second time. And we're now able to quantify the improvement. So it's not just a matter of looking at a loss run and saying, hey, we had fewer losses or 
cheaper uh, claims, we're actually able to say we counted 7,000 waistbands during this period, and now you have 1,300. We counted you know, 38 times that people drove around the facility with forklifts up or, or, or uh, forklifts ran into each other. No one was hurt, but ran into each other. And eventually, those exposures are going to lead to a loss that in the traditional sense would just be, you know, the whack-a-mole game that people play when they look at a loss run and say, well, we did all these things to make the risk better and we still had losses. We're able to better laser focus on what those those drivers of losses and remediate throughout the policy term. So how do the employers integrate what you guys are doing into their existing culture and then begin to shift it, right? Because that's got to be the biggest part of the entire process. I would think, and then I'm probably going to have a follow-up after I hear how you answer this, just based on some of the things that I've seen and actually implemented myself. So so first of all, what we're doing was we're pairing the technology with a standard work comp policy. So in the case where we are are quote buying issuing that policy, we're going to provide our technology for free. So for that, you know, CFO or key decision maker or business owner, there's nothing else to buy. As long as they have video cameras in place and they uh, are able to upload video footage, we just take a sampling, typically a week or two's worth of footage at a time, a couple of times a year. So when we can work with them, that's all they have to do to execute on our technology. There's nothing to buy. They don't have to buy a device. There's nothing to wear. So there's no adoption hurdles. We simply target those employers who already have cameras in place, and then we consume their data and provide the results. If by chance they're in a captive, they're self-insured, they simply love their carriers so much that they don't want to work with our stable of carriers, we can also provide the technology on a software as a service or SaaS basis. And so we can still provide the technology. Um, We provide a a, a quote uh, really quickly and still pay the agent. In either case, we pay the agent a commission if we write the work comp. We pay the agent a commission if we write the SaaS as well. So there's a solution for everyone as well as for the agent as well. So I'm going to ask another question because I'm leading you somewhere. I'm just going to go sure. ahead and that's why I'm not an attorney. I tend to lead the witness more than <laughs> anything else. But um, give an example of an employer, obviously not using names or anything, but give an example of a success story that you've seen since someone has started using comp science in their operation. Yeah, Jacob, you want me to go through the uh, conveyor example? So we've got an employer. Uh, we got an employer that came to us. They had a history. When you look at their loss runs, they had a, a track record of slips, trips, and falls in their facility. And they just they couldn't get their hands around what was driving those slip and falls. So we we uh, we contract with the client through an agent. And ultimately, when we reviewed their video footage, we noted that uh, there was some actions taking place at a conveyor uh, system, a conveyor belt. And when we go to the video footage, so we utilize heat maps to draw attention to frequency and severity. So there was something happening at the conveyor belt. When we go to the footage, what was happening is employees, because they're in a hurry, whether it's on a break, going to lunch, they got production quotas. And frankly, it was too long of a walk to walk around the conveyor. So they were jumping over the conveyor uh, belt. (laughs) And ultimately, it led to claims. So our solution back to them was twofold. One, tell your employees to stop. That's free and easy. Secondly, install a lift gate at that area of the conveyor system so that they could approach the conveyor, lift up the gate, walk through, drop it down, and uh, and it's awesome. 
So the first time we we analyzed their data, we counted nearly 600 uh, instances of employees hopping over the conveyor system. Jeez. By the second analysis, all they had done is told their employees to stop. And we we saw about a 45% reduction in the uh, quantity of, uh, of people hopping over it. By the third analysis, uh, we only had two instances of employees hopping over the conveyor. So about a 99% reduction in risk. We essentially engineered that exposure out of that company. It's a, it kind of goes back to what gets measured gets done. We identify the exposure, we quantify it, shine a spotlight onto it, execute, and then remeasure later to show how it's improved. So did they put the, I spaced for two seconds. You, sure. The longer you talk to me, the more you're going to realize I really do have ADHD, but <laughs> did, so Welcome did the they club. put, did they put the lift gate in? Yeah, they installed it. We, it was our recommendation, but they ultimately installed it. Yeah. And, so yeah, they, and, and who were the two idiots who decided to not do the lift gate <laughs> and jump over the thing? Like, I think it, was, it might have been people that are practicing for hurdles. But, but, but <laughs> what was neat about the this experience was when we when we took the first report, there were a, a ton of them. I want to say six hundred um, yeah. cases of people jumping over. The the first one that Mike said was free and easy was telling people to stop doing it. It got cut in half. Great progress, but then it was then that last part was then making the investment and effectively eliminated. You know, we 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 engineered the risk. That's what we call it here at Compscience. We engineered the risk out of that situation, but you're still going to have the human element. And somebody just was in such a hurry they couldn't they couldn't use the lift gate. They just had to climb over it. You're still going to run into that, but but effectively what you see is a 99 plus percent reduction in risk, going from 600 times in a two week span to two times in a two weeks. So, so that's where I was headed because naturally anybody who's ever been in a risk management department or the risk manager for any company realizes that you have to fight for every single dollar that's going to be put into your budget. Right. And so you guys go in, you make a recommendation to alter a piece of equipment. I'm interested as to what the, what the net cost was them for them to actually put that in versus what the projected financial impact is going to be on the comp, because there's a lot here, depending on the structure of the program, right? I mean, you might see some immediate improvement if they're on a, a deductible program where they're paying claims inside the deductible layer or something retrospectively rated, whether it be paid or incurred. Certainly, you're going to see more real-time results. But if you're on a guaranteed cost comp program, you're not going to pick up the financial piece of that until you know, you get better rates at renewal. If you're in a state that is allowed to fluctuate rates in Florida, we're dealing with whatever the state says it is. But then also it takes a little bit of time for the experience mod to catch up with those investments too. So I'm going back to put my CRM hat on for a couple of minutes where we're looking at the time value of money and investments. I got to believe those are the conversations you guys are having when you go in and make recs like this. Correct. Correct. And so part of what we're able to do, I think Jacob spoke to it a little bit earlier on our risk report. So think of our risk report somewhat synonymous as a um, loss control report that you might get from a, from a carrier or an agency if they're, um, if they have loss control on staff. But in our risk reports, we're also going to have uh, a page where we're utilizing data from Swift Re to benchmark their losses against their industry counterparts. So we, again, we kind of shine a, spotlight on how their losses are trending vis-a-vis the industry, whether they're performing better or worse. And we also can help uh, within that same document, help forecast uh, savings, you know, call it an ROI, if you will. So we're kind of focused on that C-suite 
where we're, where we're able to articulate financial savings and reduction, whether it's upfront in credits. Uh, we qualify for uh, Hartford's InsureTech credit. We're one of the four vendors uh, that uh, have that uh, credit. We're able to, to better improve rates at the beginning. We, we will get uh, better uh, pricing up front as well as that renewal. Imagine the story that we're able to tell to that renewal uh, or at the renewal of the carrier by, by quantifying the improvement that we had in exposure. Uh, you're again, you're going to able to, you're going to be better able to get some scheduled rating as well as, like you said, it's not immediate, but over time reduction of the mod. Yeah, absolutely. And so. What's the approach on the company side? If you guys have any intel into that, like anytime you're going to put a risk management initiative or something to improve the culture of safety in a company like this, you've got to get adoption and buy-in from your people. And so just coming in and saying, Hey, don't do that. That's not going to be effective, right? It was 50% effective. You guys said, don't do that. Or I'm going to fire you is still probably 50% effective, right? People are going to mm -hmm. be willing, especially in this labor market, they can get a job anywhere. So if they don't like what you're telling them when we go out, well, so I'm interested in, before I share what my, my comment is, what are you seeing? How are companies successfully getting their people to change? So on average, we're seeing about a 66% reduction in those behavioral exposures. So when we go out in the example we just had, where we counted nearly 600 of X, and then we come, you know, we, we provide a solution and then later quantify it. Um, we're seeing about a 66% reduction in the identification of those, those hazards. A hundred percent of the time, we're able to see improvement of some, uh, some way, shape or form. So, you know, it goes back to what gets measured gets done. We were able to, um, work with them to improve outcomes. And as a result of that, you know, we, we really haven't seen, um, you know, I'll call it a stiff arm uh, from the insured. At least it, it uh, our conversations that we're having. I'm sure at the um, you know at the floor level, you're going to have some pushback, whether it's on the cost of something. But most of our solutions are training, procedural utilization of tools they already have on hand. Dollies, for example, in moving product from area A to area B that maybe they hadn't thought of using it in that way. Um, A-line tables to bring uh, work surfaces to a 45-degree angle instead of flat to, to get rid of back uh, waistband issues. The solution for the conveyor system, which I don't have the exact cost, but was not expensive. You're talking about, you know, cutting up a section and, and um, you know, articulating it, so to speak. So it's not not overly expensive solution. I think I know where <laughs> you're going with this, David, but I like... So you said uh, earlier, Mike, that like these people, th these companies, they already have the video surveillance in place. So it's not Correct. something. Okay. Cause that would Correct. be my biggest thing that I'm thinking of is like, okay, you're trying to go in and get, you know, a contractor like David used as an example to, you know, decide to put up a bunch of video surveillance and they might not be totally on board with that for, <laughs> for a number no, of our, reasons, but an ideal client is already, already has video cameras in place, or at least a willingness to install them ASAP. We're not sell, selling cameras. We're not installing cameras. Yeah, our, our, We want to work with people who already have them in place. And let's face it, a, a lot of uh, businesses that Jacob referenced in, you know, four wall exposure or have, you know, facilities both inside and outside have them in place. You're right. Typically, you know, a, a, a plumbing contractor out at a job site do not have fixed cameras unless they have some sort of, you know, ox blue system mm -hmm. in place where those, um, you know, remote cameras are. We've got solutions for contractors, but our ideal client has, you know, it's, it's more of a four wall or fixed facility with cameras already in place. So that adoption hurdle is already gone. That, that makes way more sense. 
Yeah. So I want to I want to go a little bit of a layer deeper in terms of buy-in at at the policyholder level. So you know, there's really a couple of key contacts there. Uh, you know, the first at, at point of sale is obviously the CFO or the CEO, and that's where we display through the demo, through the the sample risk report. We can show them the savings that they'll see from both a direct cost and an indirect cost perspective. But then once the policy has been sold, the, the primary contact is occurring with the safety manager or, or the COO uh, at the organization. And that's where the meat of the discussion is taking place. And, and typically, you kind of think about this and you'd almost view it as an adversarial. Hey, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm the safety manager. I'm doing this for 20 years. I run a tight ship. I, I don't let anything get past me. And now you're going to come in with your your fancy tech and tell me everything I'm doing wrong. It it really doesn't turn out that way. Well, well it, yeah, it except for the being, fact your yeah, except for the fact your numbers say otherwise, guys. So it, your tight ship is kind of hard right. to defend when you're sitting here with loss runs and an experience mod and everything else that says otherwise. Right, right. And so so really what we 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 eventually really become a, an honorary member of the safety team because we're not here to point fingers. We are here to provide solutions to, uh, you know, reduce risk, to have healthier workers, and ultimately drive down their mod and and lower their total cost of insuring mm-hmm. risk. And so it, it and we do we have tools in place. So it's not just the risk report, but we also have an app where we save out every single clip of where we note a risk. What what the safety manager can then do, they can go out, they can look at those tapes. They can determine, hey, is this something I want to save and I want to show at our next safety meeting? Is it a great example that they can provide for the team on the changes that they're going to implement? Are they, you know, does it provide areas of, of the, again, those heat maps where maybe you provide some additional tape on the ground to make sure that the, the forklift drivers aren't going to run into people? Um, and, and over time, we become a member of the team and it, it goes from potentially an adversarial relationship to really a true relationship where we're working together to create a healthier work environment for everybody. I think where you were going, David, is probably the reward system in terms of adoption versus like saying, hey, you're fired. Yeah, that's what I So from my standpoint, it's always been more effective to go in and reward the right behaviors in addition to redirecting the bad. So mm-hmm. what I was listening for was to find out if you and you guys likely may not even know what's going on at the ground level with the actual safety departments, but that's what I was wondering is if anybody was forward thinking in how they were actually catching people doing the right stuff on video, right? In, in uh, acknowledging them publicly in front of other people, whether it be in safety meetings or normal team huddles or things like that. Um, you know, we've got some really specific examples that have been very successful over the course of the years. I've shared them on enough podcasts. I'm not going to share them today, but that that's what I was when I was talking about adoption in in getting in in shifting the culture. I, w- I was wondering if there was any kind of like positive reinforcement mechanism. The other thing I got to thinking about is you guys were talking about how can you can use the information from Swiss Re to benchmark where they're at against their peers. You know, my, from a marketing perspective, I also think in, in I'm, I'm going to make two comments around this. I also think as you continue to build your own data set, you need to show the reports of how they benchmark against the average client in your book, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's where the power is. The problem with that is if you're having too much success, you're going to talk agents into not using your product because they're going to take pay cuts to do it, right? So only, look, I don't want to sit here and pretend like every single agent out here is bad. And I'm also not going to pretend like they're all good. I know very well that if you've got an agent that says, oh, well, what do I want to go cut workers' comp costs by 50%? 
for this client when I'm going to take a 50% haircut, you know, that doesn't make any sense. I think I can, I can do something else that'll be just good enough, right? We're in an industry of just good enough, whether people want to admit that or not, especially on the production side. So I'm interested in your thoughts there from an agent standpoint. How do the agents handle the reduction in compensation based on improving the risk profile? Are they service feeing accounts? Are they building bonus money in based on achieving KPIs so that their own conversation compensation is not being cut? And again, you're probably not going to know the intricate deals of this because you're just one of the pieces in the solution for an agent that's going out to to fix a broken account. But just wondering if you've gotten pushback from agents on on any of that. I've not received any any pushback. Per se, I mean, certainly, you know, work comp isn't the troubled line. I mean, cyber, coastal property, anything in California, those are the troubled lines. And so in some regards, what agents would say to us is, look, this is not my area of focus. I got I got bigger fish to fry or whatever the, the analogy is. But we have a legion of, of agents where, you know, their focus is on, you know, they, they're truly taking that risk management approach. They're, they have a vested interest in making the workplaces safer for their for their clients. And those are the agents that I think are having the most success with us and truly driving the conversation around workplace safety instead of the commodity formerly known as work comp, as well as our service is the best service vis-a-vis. This is something different to talk about. This is a different conversation piece and a perspective um, that uh, the agent can bring to their client in a sea of stuff that looks and smells a lot like everything else they've ever seen. This is truly something different. And that's the agents that are having the most success with us. That's what they're telling us is this is a differentiator. This is something different to talk about with my clients. This is going to make them better. And I think they're seeing beyond the, the, the one account that might go down in in rate and therefore premium, therefore commission, and looking to the opportunity that exists out there for them to go in and use this as a wedge to win additional business from the other agents that are, I'll I'll say, sitting on their dust. To your to your point, taking the easy route, they're seeing it as a really a, a prospecting tool. And those, in probably in a realistic manner, those agents they're not pushing back because they're not taking your calls or they're not calling you back to begin with because they did, they don't they don't believe in what you're doing right but for the agents out there who do and they are concerned about how this would affect their compensation this is exactly why i believe wholeheartedly in the service fee model as opposed to having your compensation tied to the placement mm-hmm. of a product you have flexibility at this point not only to do the right thing for your client but to do the right thing for your client and not put your own income and revenue stream at risk by doing that and that's one of the reasons why when we deal with a middle market account that we're going to put on a fee we offer them two options we can either do a flat fee or we're going to establish KPIs whether it be reduction in total out of pocket loss costs or reduction in total cost of risk that for every increment that we bring that down, we get X number of dollars so that effectively mm-hmm. if we're driving costs down and we're driving risk down and, and it really improving these companies, we're getting paid more, which is the way that it should work, right? We're in an industry with an extremely flawed compensation model. The worse an account performs, the more the agent makes at the, at the expense of the client who's having to pay more premium. And I mean, that's always one of the objections we get too. Oh, my buddy's my agent. Well, your buddy, your buddy, what kind of buddy is he? You've got a <laughs> 1.5 mod. 
well, I've known him since college. Well, that's great. You know, you're paying fifty thousand dollars <laughs> really a year more. <laughs> yeah, you're paying fifty thousand dollars a year more than you should because of your buddy. I don't have friends that are willing to pay fifty thousand dollars a year just to keep me as a friend. I mean, I hate to say that. Maybe I'm running with the wrong crew, but it, you know, I've <laughs> even I've even been as brazen to tell some of these people. You'd be cheaper off giving your agent the the fifteen or twenty thousand dollars a year in commission. Just cut them a check for their commission if you need to pay for them to be your friend. Hire us. We're going to come here and actually move the needle and drive your costs down six figures in many cases. And everybody wins if you're that committed to the friendship. Do the right thing. Pay the guy his commission, but hire <laughs> us because he's not going to get you anywhere. Well, I think you bring up a good point, and it's really something that that we've utilized when we so, so Jacob, you know, said the word earlier demo. I want to. We didn't really talk much about that, but when we're when we're working on an account with a with a retail agent, we insist on a demo with the client. We want to meet with the CFO, uh, HR, safety manager, all those key decision makers. We want them on that call if possible, and we're going to walk through our platform. If an agent just uses us to quote price. There, especially if it's a smaller account with few losses, there's a dozen carriers lined up to, to, to write that account. But if, to your point earlier, if the mod is going up or it's already a debit mod or it's somehow keeping them from, from um, you know, doing business if they have a, a mod limitation and we can actually show them how we, you know, together with um, uh, that risk report, and we can even do a sample risk report up front that's based on nothing but their loss runs. We're going to categorize their risk and show them, you know, what the uh, impact of the mod is having on their insurance and talk about how with time we can help drive that down and what the potential savings are for that client, both upfront on the, on the cost of insurance, the direct cost, but also that indirect uh, cost of insurance that people rarely talk about. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I sit down with a prospect and explain what the difference is between their mod, the minimum mod, the controllable mod, what, you know, what average really means, because unfortunately agents don't do a great job, you know, especially those who don't specialize in writing workers comp with explaining the goal ain't one people, you know, one is average. Right. You're a C player. If you have one, you know, <laughs> exactly. I, I would think that truthfully, you know, I understand that you're probably really, really good for those companies that are having problems that that are you know have the debit mod and everything but i also think there's a subset of accounts out there that are doing better than average they might be at a 0 0.9 0 0.95 but you guys know how the formula works if your premium's high enough your your minimum mod may be 40 points below that right, right? and i think that those are the companies that if they if you can get somebody in and understand that understands how to explain it to them they would be equally as interested in investing because they are interested in moving the needle from good to great. They want to be best in class and, and they make those investments and understand you have to. But yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine if you were able to sit down and quantify soft costs associated with comp claims as a result of bending at the waist 7,000 times, you know, I mean, all of that stuff factors into what amounts to a lot of money. The reason yeah. why customers don't understand it is because agents don't understand it and they don't talk about it. And this is not my episode to throw off on agents. There's plenty of good people out there. But the problem is an insurance agent, by and large, in the past has done nothing but what? Place the insurance policy. That's it. That's what they needed to do. Now we have all kinds of insure tech coming in that has the ability to take our place, right? I'm not saying it will. I'm not saying it does right now. But that is the goal of 
a lot of this in SureTech. There's some of it that's going to make our lives easier, but there's a good bit of it that's just going to go direct to consumer and use their technology to replace the agent in the transaction. So you have to make your entire value proposition way more than the insurance transaction. And that's where stuff like comp science comes in. If you have the ability to go in and actually calculate total cost to risk or even get remotely close to it by just asking the right questions. I mean, I can't think of very many agents that unless you've been through you know, CRM or the Institute of Work Comp Professionals with Kevin Ring and Preston Diamond and those guys, or you've had really hyper-focused experience, not very many insurance agents are going to know to come in and start talking about, you know, even just using the basic BLS statistics for soft costs associated with the claim, let alone really honing in and giving great examples of what those soft costs are, how they've encountered those in the real world and why... Uh, and how they're able to help their prospect who they are hoping will become a client, you know, clean all of that stuff up. I I think that the video angle is really an interesting one. I also understand that you have to have AI involved in that. There is literally, it would be almost impossible for a human being to sit and scan all of that footage. You know, I, I think back to the days that I was in retail and I remember what it was like then when you were looking for people who were, you know, whether it be, yeah, shoplifting or employee yeah. theft. It's like, <laughs> my goodness, man. I mean, when I worked at Super Target, I mean, this is back in the early 2000s, but we are, you know, our cameras were good enough that they could zoom in and you could read the serial number off of a bill, a, a dollar bill sitting on the counter in the, in the office, the back office. So, like, mm. we had so much information coming in, but the problem was who, who reviews all of them, right? Yeah. And so I think that it's ingenious that you're using, you're using AI to do that. I, I also really think it's interesting when you're talking about the heat maps and looking for those areas. I mean, again, this goes back. This this actually, in another way, it it, it helps the agent too, right? And, and the reason I say that is because every single one of us that's ever been an underwriter and agent, we look at accounts and we have to look at loss runs, right? If people, this is my public service announcement where I remind you that loss runs are actually going to tell you the story of an account. You just don't get them <laughs> For a submission. That's not why we need them. I mean, you obviously need to have them for a submission, but they tell you the story of the account. And I mean, so many times when you look at loss runs, they're incomplete. And I hear my peer group griping and moaning about how horrible the loss runs are from a specific carrier. And I'm like, why don't you talk to your client about their accident reporting process? And Carriers can only give you the information that they're getting from people. And you've done nothing to train your client. What do you expect? And guess what? They're not all a shock loss. Right, <laughs> yeah. a, they're actually a result of a lot of a series of bad decisions that were made up until that point. <laughs> yeah, it blows my mind how many times, you know, we'll be going through a training or I'll be working with a new producer. And I mean, you know, to the new producer's credit, they they don't have a lot of experience with this. But when you start pointing out that I could literally take loss runs and show you a ton of problems, you know, with a specific account, whether it be lag time or lack of description on the industry, you can't solve a problem if you can't quantify what the actual problem is, you know, and just the vague descriptions and classifications of injuries. That's not the carrier's issue, people. That is your client's issue because you haven't gone in and demanded that they have accident reporting procedures accident investigating procedures, incident investigating procedures, and then marry that to whatever in the world 
that safety committee that you have on paper so you get a discount on your workers' comp is doing because we have the mechanisms in place to make all of this stuff work. We just don't we just don't force the envelope. And again, I think it's because agents by and large are just happy to collect the commission on place in the policy and they don't want to push back against their prospect because they're afraid they'll lose the deal if they stand their ground against them. But I can tell you in all of the time, I have never once pushed back against a prospect that I wanted, that I thought I could help, that I was convicted we were the best answer for, that that client prospect didn't become a client. The people who don't are the ones who were never going to implement the stuff that we did. And I could disqualify them by not backing down and giving them what they want. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when somebody's in a really sad state of affairs, if you go in and educate them and they still don't believe you, you're not going to be able to change their mind. It's just not going to happen. You're going to have to be willing to part ways with them because you're diminishing the value proposition you're able to deliver to the rest of your book of business by wasting your time on these clowns who can't be willing to follow the process you've laid out for them. Yep. Couldn't agree more. So, so let's what get to the question that the people really <laughs> want the answer to. What is the most ridiculous thing that you have seen in some of this, in some of this, it's got to be crazier than hurdling over a conveyor belt. Uh, forklifts running into each other, uh, a number of material handling issues, whether it's, um, you know, somebody almost dropping a stat, you know, pallet of whatever on a, on a coworker. Uh, we've got video of, um, probably a thousand pounds uh, or more of pallets that almost fell over. Uh, I mean, they fell yeah. over. The employee literally. <laughs> yeah. barely makes it it's away. like the videos I mean, you see like the reels you see on facebook yeah. or tiktok or whatever yeah yeah i mean we we don't have as crazy a ones as you would see on uh on, on you know on uh, youtube and some of the other sites mm -hmm. but we've got some we've got some really dangerous circumstances that the employer virtually had no idea they knew they had some exposure they knew okay billy is you know maybe a little quick with the the power truck you know through the plant but we can I would love to see a, a forklift joust. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it before. Where I mean, forklift races are common. <laughs> yeah, peeling I mean, out, it, doing donuts. Yeah, it's it's crazy what some of these people do. I mean, and listen, man. I mean, I'll just go ahead and say it. When I was younger, we may have raced an electric pallet jack or two in the day just to see, yeah, yeah. just to see what she could do. You know, I mean, Kyle, <laughs> yeah. you worked at you worked at golf courses. I don't even want to think about the things you were able to do with golf carts. Oh man, I mean, so yeah, <laughs> like for, for sure, you got to the point. Like I'm pulling in hundreds of golf carts throughout the day, cleaning them, turning them, plugging them up to chargers. So I got to the point where like the 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 cart bar and floor is is wet enough that you could just drift and slide right into the spot, and like we would get in there and see who could like slide it into the tightest spot, like you know, little sliver of space in between each bumper. It was actually pretty fun. Yeah, you, that's you, awesome. you'd be amazed at what you can catch. And, and that's really the beauty of using video footage instead of, you know, how many times have all of us seen a glowing um, loss control report from a carrier and then you get to the end of the policy term and there's horrific losses or it's already a 2.0 mod or whatever it is. And so it's, it can't be that good of an account if it's had these type of accounts. You just haven't seen it. So, yeah. yeah, I would have been in trouble if you guys were involved there. at the at the golf course, man. If there was <laughs> there was video in the car barn, I would have been fired pretty quickly. Yeah. I'm Correct. fairly certain that the sliding into spaces was the least nope. 
Yeah. Mm, probably more like probably more like smoking on the job and getting drinks from the car girls. Stuff like think, that. Yeah. I would think that sounds about right. <laughs> Addy Shack is actually real. So yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, listen, we've been we've been going for a good bit now, and I want to be respectful of time and we need to stay on schedule as well. What have we missed? What do you guys want to cover that we haven't brought up yet? So look, at the end of the day, we want to work with agents that that want to you know talk about something and different and bring a creative solution to their clients. And so at the end of the day, you know if you're a producer who's targeting hundred thousand dollar accounts from a work comp perspective and larger, and um, want to have a conversation about how we can help you win uh, new accounts and retain key accounts, give us a show. We'd love to show you a demo of the system. And also, we uh, are here to do demos for your clients and prospects as well. And we're going to compete uh, on every account that we can. So we're going to deliver competitive pricing and the uh, the technology to uh, make those workplaces safer. Where do they find you, fellas? Mike at CompScience.com, Jacob at CompScience.com, or just go online to CompScience.com. Good deal. There you go. Listen. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys taking time out today. We love hearing about new technology. This is something that I don't think is ever going to go away. It's only going to continue to evolve and improve. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the next iterations of it look like. I mean, even, you know, as recently as five years ago, I don't think anybody thought about what it would look like if you married video and AI to analyze the video to be able to deliver very good um, results to people. And honestly, inarguable evidence that things are not where that people think they are right the guy that says he's got everything really tough time position if you've got video proof that that's not really the case when you're not there and especially i imagine a lot of the industries you're looking at outside of maybe construction or doing many of them have 24-hour operations you can't be there 24 7 365 and so that's really you know and then they make the investment in the cameras to help them but in all reality what they're really most of the time looking for is productivity and, and shrink through theft, right? It's not that they're looking to improve safety performance. So I think it's a great angle. I'm I'm extremely um, interested in the product and will continue to monitor um, the awesome results y'all are getting as you continue to add to your book of business and get a credible data set to be able to come back on at some point and report back what it looks like after a couple of years of really being down this road. But if anybody else out there who's listening to this has an interest, highly recommend you reach out to these guys at compscience.com and they already gave you their emails. So I won't repeat those, but uh, just reach out and start the conversation. You have accounts that need this technology. I can promise you, you do. It's a matter of whether or not you're willing to take the time to learn about something that might make you feel a little uncomfortable, especially if you're having to go in and show, uh, show your client the things that they're not doing right. But guess what? That's what they're paying you to do for crying out loud. <laughs> and right? if you don't have them already, we can help you get them. We'll exactly. Hope you win the account. Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, fellas, thanks so much for coming on today. Really appreciate your time and looking forward to sharing this with our audience here in the next couple of weeks when this thing drops. Hope you all have a great week. Everybody else, we'll catch you guys next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.